The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The scripture reading today is from Galatians 4, 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Rebecca, and uh, thank you, Nate Tasker, wherever you are for leading us uh, today. And uh, we look forward next week after several weeks of a mini sabbatical to having the choir return. So we're excited about that after a long Advent season of serving. Uh, the choir has taken some well-deserved time off, but we'll get to have them back next week as well. Uh, if we have not met yet, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I get to be the one today to, to uh, uh, teach on the passage that was just read. And uh, I'll start this way. Uh, in the heart of every good parent is this sort of fixation on the well-being of uh, of their children. Uh, I remember uh, when we were in New York uh, getting in a conversation like this with around that subject with Tim and Kathy Keller and at one point in the conversation Kathy said, you know, I'm always only as happy as my saddest child. Isn't that true? There's something that, that especially for a mother who's carried a child, uh, and literally been one flesh with the child for, for nine months, uh, there's a sense where you're bonded, you're yoked to that other human being, and, and, and your joy is bound up in their joy, your flourishing is bound up in theirs. And if your kids are hurting, if they're at risk in any way, it is an emergency. It becomes an emergency. And what we've got here in the passage is something of an emergency, uh, according to the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter. Uh, and he gets maternal with uh, the church at Galatia, and he, he calls them his little children, for whom he is in anguish, in the anguish of childbirth. He actually uses childbirth language. I wish I could be present with you because I'm perplexed about you. Uh, you, you can feel his emotional distress uh, because they are uh, acting and living and believing in, in a way that's against their own thriving. They're under a spell, you could say. There have been some influential teachers that have come in to the church at Galatia in Paul's absence. And they're leading everybody astray. And, and people are starting to buy 
the teaching. They're, they're starting to buy into the teaching, and, and what they're doing is trading in the grace of, law, of God, the, the love of God, the, the, the affection of God, and just belief in those things, and, and, and allowing their identities to, to be formed by those realities for slavery, for pressure, for a performance orientation, for this mindset that says if you want God to, to favor you and love you, if you want the community to accept you, you have to earn it. You have to live up to something. And, 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 and so Paul is talking to them here, uh, maybe like the parents of a 24-year-old daughter who are perplexed because she's been dating an abusive young man, and she's starting to uh, consider getting married to this abusive young man, and the parents will do just about anything to stop her from going all in. And it's in that context that Paul demonstrates to us what the relationship between leaders, spiritual leaders especially, and their people should look like. And so we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about what we all need from our leaders and what our leaders need from us, and then uh, finally the one true leader of us all. But let's start with, uh, I was able to come up with four things from the passage, what we need from our leaders. And the first that Paul demonstrates is love, or affection, or tenderness, or, or kindness, or you know, a posture that communicates, I am so for you. Even when I'm saying the hardest things. You notice here, Paul's, some, this is one of the sharpest letters in the Bible. Of rebuke, of correction. And, and, and yet we see, just like the, letter to, uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, the sharpest words from Paul are always adorned with reassuring statements of his affection. I'm not going to abandon you. I love you. You've probably heard the old saying, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, that's, Paul is a de- demonstration of this here. He calls them his brothers. He says, my little children, these are terms of endearment. I entreat you. You know, he's wooing them. He, he's not scolding them. He's not lecturing them. He's not getting aggressive with them. He's not reading them the riot act. There's this tenderness that, that, that adorns Uh, his direct confrontation. Then he says, I became as you are. So so Paul, if you follow the life and ministry of Paul through the Bible, you'll see that he's a master at emotional intelligence. He's always putting himself in the shoes of the people that God has put him in front of. He writes about that in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, you know, to the Jews I've become like a Jew. To the Greeks, I become like a a Greek. I become all things to all people so that I might possibly save some. There's this incredibly empathic thing about Paul's approach. So there's love, walking in their shoes, communicating, over-communicating affection. The second thing that we need from our leaders is truth. This entire letter is Paul's attempt to, uh, his heartfelt attempt to steer these people back to what the Bible calls sound doctrine. Well, that sounds so fundamentalist. Yes, it does. And yes, it is. And I'm here to tell you 
that fundamentalism is only a bad thing when your fundamentals are bad. And what he's trying to do actually is rescue them from a bad form of fundamentalism. And when the Bible talks about sound doctrine or sound teaching or sound theology, the, the Greek word for sound, the literally, literal translation of that word is healthy. I'm here to rescue these people from unhealthy teach, teaching and bring them back to healthy teaching upon which they can build healthy lives and healthy belief systems and healthy community and have a healthy mission in their cities and so on. And it all starts and ends with how God has revealed himself and what God says about human beings and the nature of things and creation, in other words, Scripture, all of Scripture. And we see Amos, the prophet in the Old Testament, uh, expressing a similar concern, and essentially he says, the reason why Israel is in such bad shape is that there is a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. There's a famine. Paul says to Timothy, a young pastor, as he's mentoring him, preach the word. And preach the word in season and out of season. Preach it when it's convenient, when it's not. People Preach it when you know people are going to like and appreciate what you hear. Preach it when you know they're not. Preach it when it's popular. Preach it when it's not. wasn't popular for Isaiah. Preaching the word got Isaiah sawn in two. It wasn't popular for Jesus. Preaching the word got Jesus crucified. It wasn't popular for the apostles. Eleven of the twelve of them got crucified for what they preached, for preaching the whole word of God. The takeaway here is that there's no such thing as a leader that doesn't have a backbone. There's no such thing as a true leader who won't risk Making people feel like you're fighting against them when in fact you're fighting for them because you know more than they do. You know more than they do about how the universe works, about how the human heart is meant to be connected to God, about how the chief purpose of a human being is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and and, and how the only way that anybody can be sane with religion long term is if it's a religion of grace. Paul says to them, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is, yeah. They're treating him like an enemy because he is speaking true things to them. So this is, a, this is simultaneously a fear and a hope that I live with and wrestle with the tension of every time I stand up here. I both fear and hope that I make every single one of you mad at some point. I hope I make you mad because it's in the disruption, it's in the tension when when the whole truth of God comes to us, which we all have inconsistencies with our belief systems and, and the way we conduct our lives, the way we think about things, the way we speak to other people. We all have inconsistencies and therefore we all need to get hit squarely between the eyes sometimes. And so I, if, if I have you as, as a congregant that I lead for 10 years and I never make you mad, either I'm not doing my job or you're not listening or both. See, that tension leads us to wrestle, and it's in the wrestling that, that we grow. 
You know, a, a broken bone won't heal until it's painfully snapped back into place. And that, that's what Paul's doing here. Truth. My mom told me the truth one time when we were on vacation and I was six years old. We're at this condo and out in the yard, the condo yard, whatever you call a yard for a condo, the condo yard, there's this bush with these beautiful red berry looking things. They, they were shaped like blueberries, but they were bright red. And mom said, whatever you do, I'm going to leave you alone to play out here. Don't eat from that bush. Because if you eat of it, you will surely die. And <laughs> what did I do? When she goes in, my curiosity gets the best of me. I ate of it. And I didn't die, but I would have had my mom not made a decision after that to become my enemy by telling me the truth. I need to take you now to the hospital to, to wound you in order to heal you, to make you vomit so that you can get this stuff out of your system so it won't poison you, so, so your life won't be at risk. Oh, that's so uncomfortable. She's becoming my enemy by telling me the truth. Well, it's either that or leave me be and let me perish. There is no such thing as a leader without a backbone. I have to make you mad sometimes. Have to. The third is grace. Why? Because grace is the truth. Grace and truth, truth and grace are the same thing. You know, Paul says in verses 13 and following, When I first preached the gospel to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God. What has become of your blessedness? Now, if you have the New International Version, it says, what's happened to all your joy? For I testify to you that if possible, back then you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Why did they have this, this, this kind of affection, this willingness to even gouge out their own eyes if, if that's what it would take to minister back to Paul? It's because they had open, here he had opened their eyes, or, or as Nate, I love the way he used the phrase, he says, open their ear lids. He'd open their ear lids to the truth. And what is the truth? You are united with Christ. Christianity is not a religion of do, do, do. It's a religion that says it's, it's all done. Your judgment day, it's been moved from the future to the past Jesus Christ has fulfilled every requirement of God that hangs over you. Your contribution to that is nothing. It's to receive it and believe it and to know that you're embraced. To, to, to receive the fact, to receive the truth that, that, that your well-done, good and faithful servant came to you at the start line. It, it's not waiting for you at the finish line if you measure up enough. It, it, it came to you at the start line because Jesus measured up more than enough for you, and you get to live in obedience out of that well done, not toward some well done. In other words, as one of my friends and older brother mentor pastors says often, Scotty Smith says, here's what being united with Christ means. In Christ, God cannot love you more. He loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. And he will not love you less, even on your worst day, at your worst behavior, in your worst seasons. Instead, he'll win you back with his love and his truth and his grace. 
See, what, what's happened in Galatia is that they have leaked, somehow they have leaked the grace that had been poured into them. They, they, they had leaked awareness of this love that will not let them go. This, this reality that says to them, there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. And that there's, there's nothing in all creation, even you, that will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Once you're in, you're in. And it's all by grace through faith. They had leaked their awareness of that. They had forgotten that they are favored, that they are applauded, that they are esteemed, and they have reverted, based on false teaching, to the idea that I have to bring it, that I have to come full-handed to God in order to be accepted and embraced. You know, Patty and I uh, were watching an interview with Taylor Swift recently, and it, it, there was a part of the interview where um, it features the, the Grammy that she won a few years ago uh, for best music video. And um, you're from Nashville, so you, you, you know this happened probably. Uh, Kanye West comes up while she's doing her acceptance speech, grabs the microphone, and, and said, actually, Beyonce is the one who made the best video or some version of that. Uh, in front of everybody, and, and Taylor Swift's just standing there sort of a little bit paralyzed. And then all of a sudden, the crowd starts booing, boo, boo, boo. And in this interview, Taylor Swift said, uh, you know, the, the interviewer said, how did, how did all the booing make you feel? She said, it was devastating because I thought they were booing me. We all are hardwired, aren't we, to just assume that. That if, if we're really known, if we're really looked at, if we're really seen, then we're going to get booed. We're going to get booed by God. We're going to get booed by our community. We're going to get booed on out of here. You know, every so often I'm in a pastoral counseling situation. This actually happened a lot of times. Where the person I'm sitting across from, you can tell they, 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 they want to confess something. Unload, unburden their hearts and they're like, there's this hesitancy. Happens all the time. If you really knew the whole story, if you really knew everything, I don't know if you'd ever be able to look at me again. And I'm terrified by that. And my answer to that is, you can't surprise me. I've been in ministry for over 25 years. People confess and stuff. I know my own heart. You cannot surprise me. You can't. Double dog dare you to try. You can't. But the assumption is that if we do full self-disclosure, there's going to be a big fat boo. And, and, and this is our responsibility and privilege. Todd and I were nodding to each other in the earlier service about this. To get to gush to people who have been carrying shame. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. There's, there's nothing, even the worst thing that you've done, even the ugliest, most sinister thought, sinister thought that you've had, there's nothing that's ever going to be able to separate you from his love. And, he, and in comes Paul, am I your enemy by telling you this? Am I assaulting your pride? Is that, is that what this is about? Or have you just grown accustomed to the flattery of the legalists? That's what it was. Here's the fourth thing that leaders have to give to their people. A back seat. Taking a back seat to Jesus Christ. 
You know, the source of Paul's anguish, he's very clear. He doesn't say to them, I, I'm so eager that, that, that my message will be formed in you. No, he says, I'm eager that Christ will be formed in you. You know, what's happening in Galatia is that they're, they're doing sort of a church hopping thing. They've hopped from Paul to trendy new teachers. And, you know, you take, you take a look at, at, at what's compelling them, and, and Paul clues us in at, at why they have hopped from one teacher to another, from one church to another, from one way of thinking to another. What's behind the hopping? Appeal, the appeal of a new experience. These teachers, they feel fresh. They, they feel innovative. They, it feels good. It feels better. More exciting to be under their leadership. Why? Verse 17. They make much of you. They're flattering you. Feels good, doesn't it? He says they're doing it for a purpose that's no good. What they're after is this, that you would make much of them. They want to be your celebrity pastors. And Paul is always fighting against the notion of becoming a celebrity pastor. Paul loves them, but he never flatters them. His only aim, far, being, far be it from making much of him, his only aim is that they would grow to make much of Christ. You know, chapter 1, it starts there, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting me. No, he doesn't say that. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who loved you and gave himself for you. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's this, you know, debate. Who's the better preacher? Who's the better pastor? Is it Paul or Apollos? Some of you say, I follow Paul. Others of you say, oh, I follow Apollos. Guess what? We are just servants. Follow Christ already. Follow Christ. It's like John the Baptist. All the crowds flocking to John the Baptist. And he says, there's one coming after me, Jesus Christ, my cousin. I'm unworthy to untie the sandals on his feet. That's how grand he is. He must increase. I must become less. So, so I'm 51 years old, and, and you know, this is the age where people like me start to think about things like, like legacy and the definition of true success and things like that. If I read the Bible correctly, if I watch the Apostle Paul, and if I read even the impulses of my own heart, more and more with each passing year, I'm starting to believe and even get excited about the thought that the very best legacy that I will have is to preach Jesus Christ faithfully for 20 or 30 years, die and be forgotten. That's the best thing I can do for the church of God. There's Rachel Myers right there. Sorry, I'm going to call you out right now in a good way. Rachel's nodding because the, found, the whole foundation of their ministry, She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth, is built on them getting out of the way and, and, and leading people to take a deep dive into the scriptures. So many of you have the same philosophy in your parenting, in your leadership, in the way that so many of you elder the church who are elders and leaders and shepherds, pastoral team, our directors, our staff. That's who we want to be. We want to be people who are faithful for the season of ministry that God gives us and then die and be forgotten by everyone except Jesus who will never forget his people. 
So what do our leaders need from us? We need high expectations. I need you to expect these things from me. And if you're not receiving or you feel you're not receiving these things from me, help me to understand how I can lead better. High expectations. All of the above. You know, John Stott put it this way. He said, the Christian minister should be preoccupied with people's spiritual progress and care nothing for their own prestige. Pursue Christ, pursue the welfare of God's people that Christ would be formed in them, and pursue godly character. You know, Robert Murray McShane said the very best thing that a minister can give to his people is his own personal holiness, his own personal pursuit of Christ, which also includes his own personal humility and recognition that he's not holy and that he needs the grace of Christ like everyone else. You know, Paul says, I became as you are so that you will become as I am. But what that means is what he said in 1 Corinthians. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Again, he's even using his own life and his own example to point away from himself and to Jesus Christ. So have high expectations of us in that regard, but also have reasonable ones. In general... People expect a lot from their pastors. A lot. Tom Rayner, who works with the Southern Baptist Convention and Lifeway, does a lot of research on kind of church trends, and he did this, this really large uh, survey uh, where he interviewed tens of thousands of church members of churches all around the United States in particular. And it included, the survey did a series of questions, you know, how many hours a week should your pastors be doing this? You know, sermon preparation, uh, meeting with people and counseling with people, visitation, study and prayer, uh, etc. And Tom Rayner's conclusion after he pulled in all the data is that the average church member expects their pastors to work somewhere around 116 hours per week. We have limitations too. The shepherds, we are also sheep. In fact, we're a lot more like the sheep than we are like the shepherd. And we're going to let you down if you stay with us for a long time or maybe even for a week. We're going to let you down. You know, here's Paul. He, even Paul is being vulnerable. He's saying, I wish I could be present with you. And that might be a complaint. You're never here. At least the circumcision part, they're here. They show up. You're never even here. Well, Paul has this calling to serve cities. And, and so he's always living with the tension of, I've got such affection for you, and yet I can't be with you. This is one of the tensions that I feel of, of pastoring a, a large church. I cannot be there for 3,500 people. I can barely be there for 35 people, let alone 3,500, because I have a family and I have sleep needs and you know, I, I have 24 hours in my day like you have 24 hours in your day. It's one of my greatest frustrations. It happened yesterday. I saw a guy at, at Whole Foods and he says, hey, you're my pastor. This happens all the time. And I, I hate that I have to say, oh, really? What's your name? How long have I been your pastor? Oh, six years? I hate that. I love, because I love you. I, I wish I could know every single person, be in every single home, know every single story, know the names of all of your children, all of your stories, all of your struggles, all of your successes and joys. I wish I could be that for everybody. 
like Paul, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who's, you know, okay, it, it has to be, I guess, about building a culture and, and having people like Todd and David and, 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 and you know, Russ and Stacy and, and um, you know, all our directors, you know, Angie, Suzanne and Lee Eric and so many others um, to be that. You know, some of you, most of you, Todd is your pastor and I'm just the guy who gets up and teaches. That's the way it actually should be. That's the way it needs to be. For some of you, Giff Thornton's your pastor and he's not even on staff. But he loves you and cares for you and prays over you. You know, for, you know, for some of you, it's, it's you know, we tell her or, or whomever else. That's how the body of Christ works. But know that your leaders, all of us, this is just the guy who stands up here, it's everyone, has limitations. We are also sinners. That's another major limitation that we have. In some churches, not this one, but in some, the unpardonable sin is for the pastor to disappoint the people or even just some of the people. Unpardonable sin. And when that scenario exists, it means you've got people who are expecting a sinner to be their Jesus. I'm a really good Scott Sauls. I will never be a good Jesus for you. Never. And I want to apologize to you for that, but I can't. I would be doing a disservice to you if I apologized to you for that. You know, the Wall Street Journal came out with an article a couple weeks ago about a pastor who got worn out. And he asked his elders if he could go on sabbatical. They graciously granted him a sabbatical. And while he was away, he, he visited a counselor, and the counselor thought, well, you might want to, you know, explore. I, I'm seeing some signs of maybe bipolar disorder. And he got diagnosed, bipolar. Came back from his sabbatical, ready to dive back in and disclose to his elders his diagnosis, and they let him go on the basis of that. Reminds me of the suicide note that was written by Tim Brewer of Central Presbyterian Church who took his own life uh, when Todd and I and, and others were in seminary in St. Louis. And one of the things in his suicide note was, I've been depressed for years, I've been medicated, it's not working, but everybody knows that if a, if a minister exposes his weakness to his people, he will be out of a job. The truth, though, is, and I wish that the church that was reported in the Wall Street Journal would have recognized this, that their decision was not only tragic for him, it was tragic for them, because the end of yourself is actually the beginning of your ministry. That's actually the beginning of your ministry. I mean, do we want to disqualify the prophet Jeremiah for being the weeping prophet? Do we want to disqualify Elijah for being depressed and despairing of his own life? Or, or the writers of the Psalms who, who were overwhelmed with sorrow and who, who voiced the feeling that God had forsaken them? Do we want to disqualify them? Do we want to disqualify Jesus who is overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death? Do we want to disqualify Paul? Apparently the Galatians do for being a sickly man. Joe Novenson, who's a pastor in Chattanooga, says about the people in the Bible, the most fruitful, impactful leaders in the Bible were real people who had real failures, real struggles, real inadequacies, real inabilities, and God shook the earth with them. It is not so much from our strength that God draws, but from his invincible might. You know, there are hundreds of you who 
have been here from long before I got here. And you've been confronted with the weaknesses of several pastors, including yours truly, you know, but starting all the way back, Cortez Cooper, Peter Doyle, Charles McGowan, Ray Orland, Wilson Benton, and now yours truly. Good news, if the, if the end of self is the beginning of ministry, then, then you're in luck. You've stayed, those people I just talked about, you stayed through all of it. Which makes you a more grown-up person. Not because you decided to stay, but because of what the staying has done to you. And how the staying has formed you. Just like worship, connect, serve, like really making that the rhythm of your life, will form you over time. Yours truly? Okay, here's, here's a list. Worry, workaholic, perfectionist. Judgmental towards judgmental people. <laughs> a habit of overeating. Proud. Afraid a lot of the time. That's just page one. And, and yet many of you, with leaders like me, you've done the Eugene Peterson thing. You know, Eugene Peterson was asked, you know, how do, how do we, how do we, how are we supposed to choose a church? How are we supposed to decide where, what, what our church is? And he says, here's how, pick one and stay. Pick one and stay. They weren't staying with Paul. It was hurting them. The one true leader of us all, that's the last one. The one with the maternal instinct, Jesus himself. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks. Jesus comes in and he loves us with tenderness. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. Full of grace and truth. There are those words again. He became as we are, quite literally. You know, as Eugene Peterson says, you know, he moved into the neighborhood. He became as we are so that we would become ultimately as he is. He didn't just tell us the truth. He is the truth. Way, truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but through him. Those are his words. But yet this seemingly exclusive word is also one of the most inclusive statements because it's also a word of grace and a word of so great a love that he didn't just give up his eyeballs for us. He gave his whole person and his soul to us, sparing no expense so he could gush to us the no condemnation and no separation of Romans 8. He takes a backseat to us Speaking two words from the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer, Father, forgive them. Why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them. He took a back seat to us. So our ultimate task as leaders and as those who are led is to receive him as someone even greater than an angel of heaven, worth even giving our eyeballs for. Because of the wounds that he bore, the bodily ailments that he bore for our healing, so that we can know for certain that he will never boo us. What better reason to never desert him? I'd like to invite you to stand and pledge your allegiance to this king, this tender-hearted savior, this true leader, as Pastor Todd and the other leaders make your way to serve at the tables as the kids Come forward. I'll ask us all the question, daughters and sons of God, what do you believe? 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. 